Last July saw the murder of Joel Imbangola Lunea, a member of the Congolese Environmental and Human Rights Organization, RIAOLRDC, and an outspoken critic of land occupation by Canadian oil palm plantation company Feronia. One of Feronia's heads of security was charged and then acquitted last month of his murder. Then last September 5th, uh, sorry, last September, five community activists were arrested and remain in prison for their outspoken stance against Feronia. All of this is happening in the context of growing global demand for cheap vegetable oil for processed foods, biofuels, and cosmetics. On a more positive note, last year as well, a report published by the organization Grain, along with other groups, found that wide-scale community resistance in countries across Africa is starting to pay off with a dramatic drop in land deals for palm oil production. To talk about these issues, I'm joined on the phone by Devlin Kuyek of Grain. Devlin, so nice to have you back on Amandla. Hi, Gwen. Thanks for having me again. It's been way too long. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Devlin, could you tell us about Joel Imbangola Lunea and the circumstances surrounding his murder? Yeah, well, just maybe a bit of background for people who aren't so familiar with this case. Mm-hmm. Um, this relates to a really a, a century-old conflict, uh, land conflict that goes back to the uh, Belgian colonial occupation of Congo. Uh, and uh, this Lord Leverhulme, who whose empire would eventually become Unilever, which is now one of the largest multinational food companies in the world, mm-hmm. uh, he was uh, given a huge area of land and eventually started building oil palm plantations. And so, they fast forward a hundred years, and uh, this Canadian uh, TSX listed company. Uh, with really no background in plantations or agribusiness, um, buys the plantations from uh, Unilever and uh, inherits this uh, long-standing land conflict. And the communities have been suffering greatly during this time. Um, I, I visited in these areas, and it's—I mean—it's—it's it's really a hellish situation, uh, both for the workers and for the communities who have been deprived of of their lands and their forests. Uh, and whose uh, you know, only real access to anything is a sort of slave-like um, working conditions on the plantations. Mm. Um, and the communities, uh, a year, well, over a year ago, um, several of them decided to come forward with a complaint to an uh, international complaints mechanism of the German Development Bank. There are numerous development banks that have stepped in to finance Feronia. In fact, Feronia is a loss-making company. It loses t- millions, sometimes tens of millions of dollars a year, uh, and it's only being propped up with uh, money from European development banks and also the U.S. Development Bank and some other multilateral lenders. In other words, largely taxpayers' money. Uh, yeah, for the most part, it's it's public funds. I mean, the CDC of the of the UK is is the largest investor, and you know, they they now own forty percent of the company, uh, and the CDC is owned by the the UK government. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's just a direct involvement in this land conflict by uh, by these foreign governments and the Canadian uh, Canadian company. But the villagers, uh, you know, very courageous to uh, nine villages. Uh, to put forward uh, this complaint, and they were the complaint centered on the the land issue. I mean, they weren't asking for you know uh, a new school to be built or uh, some mm-hmm. uh, you know 
wells to be constructors, you know, the typical things that uh, the companies will sometimes offer. In fact, part of that is just frustration over years of of failed promises uh, for these kinds of things. And, um, you know, for them, it was really time to, to, to get their land back and to, to uh, get control over their territories once again. And um, that complaint was filed in November 2018. In January last year, 2019, the International Complaints Mechanism agreed uh, to take on what would be a mediation process. It wasn't just, you know, sometimes with these complaint mechanisms, it's all about looking, you know, whether or not the developed banks are adhering to their standards and these kinds of things. You don't really get much out of that. But this, in this case, there's an option for a mediation process. Sorry, um, Devlin, this is the international complaints mechanism through what? Through CDC or who's, who's no, complaints the DEG. mechanism? So it's a German development. Oh, the German bank. one. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. And, and actually the mechanism, here? yeah, the, the mechanism is, is for, uh, it includes also the, the Dutch development bank and the French development bank, with, which also are actively funding, financing mm-hmm. uh, Feronia. Um, and uh, so they, the, the, the panel agreed to take on um, uh, take on this case, and they agreed that you know the the, the case for mediation was solid. But uh, since that time, uh, things have really gone very slowly, and uh, the company, uh, along with some of the development banks, have really been doing a, um, their best to undermine the process. I mean, so just to give you a sense of it. The Dutch Development Bank, which is part of this mechanism, and the CDC are uh, have put a, a huge chunk of money into another mediation process, mm. they call it mediation, but that is being undertaken by uh, this consultancy firm that, that typically gets hired by you know, plantation and, and forestry companies to manage sort of community relations. And they are at the same time trying to do the so-called mediation process where they're, they're offering the communities, you know, to, to work out some kind of deal with the company wow. around, you know, yeah. you know wow. social, responsible kind of things. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, sort of directly trying to undermine their interest in, mm-hmm. in uh, pursuing uh, an actual mediation on the land issue. And I expect uh, try to divide the community. Exactly, exactly. And... Not only that, but we're seeing this real ramp up in intimidation and re- and repression mm-hmm. and violence. Um, and you know what you, you you started off by pointing to was this really tragic and, and horrific incident <clears throat> in July last year, where uh, Joel Imangola uh, Lunea, who's uh, an activist with uh, our, our partner organization, the Rio RDC. Um, well, he's a, he's a, a conductor of a, a boat, so there's, you know, all these plantations are on, on the river. And um, he, uh, he makes a living by conducting passengers from uh, small towns to the provincial capital. And um, uh, he was uh, taking passengers when he was uh, confronted by the, the security guard, the head of security in that area for the company. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard directly from eyewitnesses who described this, um, this incident where he just, you know, made it clear to Joel that it w- he, was, he was getting him to sort of square up with uh, 
problems he'd had with his uh, activism with the organization. So that you know, his involvement with the uh, uh, an organization supporting the communities on their land conflict was part of the reason, at least, why he was attacking them. And uh, he just uh, violently beat him to death um, with a paddle. And Joel, uh, Joel drowned. Uh, his assistant um, uh, on the boat was also injured. And uh, this guy, the head of security, and, and along with another security guard who was in the boat with him, uh, peacefully brought his boat and Joel's boat back to shore where there were people uh, gathered there uh, who had seen the incident, including local police. The local police did nothing to stop him. He went back, packed his bags, and then fled with his family. And we knew, um, and the Rio uh, members, local members, knew where he was hiding. This was conveyed to the police. Uh, he ended up in the provincial capital. Again, his whereabouts were conveyed to the police. At one point, the police said they weren't going to go get him unless they could be given money for uh, fuel to go, to go find him. All of this, that during this whole time, we were you know, informing the development banks, encouraging them to take some action. Um, you know, the company was well aware of things. And he was, All in, the, he was did, in the pay of Feronia, right? This... Well, he was, and they came up with this story that, oh, he, you know, he was on leave during this time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, that they had nothing to do with it. security for one of Feronia's divisions there. Like, he's, this was his Well, ab- absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we had... I. I we have, uh, you know, witness statements uh, making it clear that it was that uh, that the security guard had uh, shouted at Joel before killing him that you know that he was going to get him because of his activism with mm-hmm. with Rio RDC. Mm-hmm. I also understand that uh, he had when when he finally was brought to trial had thirty two lawyers who were paid for by Feronia's DRC subsidiary. Is that correct? Well, yeah, here, you know, a, a lowly security guard for the mm-hmm. company uh, in a, you know, very poor village somehow has 32 high-profile lawyers mm-hmm. uh, at his side uh, acting on his defense. I mean, but, you know, just to say he, he finally was apprehended by the police, which was, I think, short of a miracle because of, uh, you know, he had to essentially haul them there to make the arrest. And... Um, he uh, then was detained in jail, and he finally, uh, there was a court proceeding. Now, it's not, as you might think, the like the state that is prosecuting him, even on a murder case. It's actually the family that has to file this case. And this is a very poor family. Joel is, you know, his, 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 his widow has nine children. They have no source of income. And just to file a case costs a huge amount of money. Then to get a lawyer... And to make trips to the, you know, back and forth to the, the courthouse, I mean, it's a huge endeavor uh, to do all of this. And very complicated, but they managed to do it. They managed to, to file this case. Again, you know, it takes tremendous courage, given what, you, you know, is what could be the, the risk to them. And uh, the case was proceeding. And we learned over that time, and the, the lawyers admitted in court that they, they were being paid by, uh, by the company. Uh, and, you know, things started to come out in his testimony. The, the trial was delayed and delayed, and um, 
it was supposed to re-adjourn this this year. We didn't have any, there's no date fixed and just waiting to hear when it would recommence. And then um, suddenly, the early in February, we got word, um, a see and us got word that the, the family had, had cited this uh, murderer in the in in their neighboring village where he's from, and we followed that up. We called um, Joel's son, who was in the provincial capital, and uh, he said, "Yes, yeah. he had just he had heard that. He spoken to the lawyer. The lawyer went to the courthouse, and a week at, he he learned that a week before. So this was I think February 11th, and on February 4th, without any announcement to the family." who had brought the case forward, or to the lawyer, their lawyer, uh, he was suddenly acquitted and was let free. Unbelievable. And now he's back, you know, terrorizing uh, this uh, this family um, and, you know, calling, uh, we understand, uh, intimidating them once again. Is he still on Feronia's payroll? Uh, I'm unsure of that. It uh, Reports we have are he's not working for them, and that he's you know, seeking to get some compensation for lost wages. Or something. You know, it's a, it's a it's a mess of a story. A nightmare. Yeah, and the CDC throughout this time they they reacted by saying they were going to do an independent investigation. Yeah, just, there's a lot of acronyms. We'll just remind our listeners: CDC yeah. is the is the um, UK the UK, and it is basically, from what I understand, um, part of the like the development wing of the UK government or what international development like they fall under that is that correct yeah yeah and, and maybe people don't know what a development bank is but they have it's kind of like um, a thing that was invented instead of giving development aid the idea is you give uh, you know cheap loans and mm-hmm. equity investments to the private sector and usually it's multinational companies who are then going to bring development to right. you know, okay to Africa and other places um, and so the CDC which is, you know, profoundly implicated in this. They're the largest shareholder in Fronia and have provided the company with all kinds of uh, of, of loans and other forms of finance. Um, they said they were going to do an independent investigation. Mm-hmm. They hired a private security firm and a consultancy. Um, we understand they did a bunch of interviews. And then... Um, they said they 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 announced this was before uh, he was um, security guard was uh, released, uh, but they announced that uh, their investigations had cleared the company of any involvement. Oh. But they wouldn't be able to share any details uh, because the case was ongoing. Uh, but they could share the detail that the company was, uh, you know, had was had nothing to do with this with this murder. So where does it go from here? I mean, it just seems like circles of impunity inside circles of impunity inside circles of impunity. So what is there a next step in terms of trying to hold uh, not only Mr. Ibuka, the security guy, accountable, but uh, Ferronia itself for this horrific situation? Well, it's difficult. I mean, in the Congolese courts... um I don't know what the chances are given what's happened so far. Um, there is a possibility of appeal, although the time is, is given is usually 10 days, and, and that that passed. So 
it's not clear what the options are now on and that, that would also fall to the family to finance an appeal or has it moved to yep. another level oh, okay oh yeah yeah um you know there obviously there'll be efforts to raise funds to support them mm-hmm. but um you know that's not a given either and you know sometimes we hear about these cases you know Bertha Casares and so many others I mean especially in the agribusiness sector um but people should understand that there there is very little money available to fund any legal defense mm-hmm. for uh, victims of human rights violations in um, in countries where you know you have mining and, and other uh, and agribusiness and <clears throat> and other uh, foreign companies involved. Uh, that's I, I've learned I've come to learn that, and it's uh, that's been an eye opener. Um, you know yeah. how difficult it is. Yeah, and we've argued on Amanda for years now that, in fact, this kind of new frontier of tying things up in courts uh, tends to really serve the perpetrators much better than the victims and, um, you know, in an odd way kind of depoliticizes things. Like, these should be political issues and not necessarily so much legal, but it seems to really be the shift is... uh, is to bring it into the courts, which is incredibly disempowering for, as you've so well described, Evelyn, uh, families and communities. They don't have the resources to play that game. Yeah, and and, if, and you lose sight of the larger picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, what happened there was directly a result of this uh, these tensions and the land conflict and the ongoing uh, poverty, and, and uh, uh, which has everything to do with the company. Yeah. Um, but the act itself, you know, to actually come up with the proof, um, that's that's uh, that's always going to be more difficult in all these cases. And then you have, you know, the, the contrast to this is what's happened on the another plantation area. The same company has three plantation areas, and in another area, um, in the village of Yalifumbo, mm-hmm. uh, the communities were uh, protesting because of uh, toxic waste from the plantations that was making everybody sick. Even felt that some people died from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that then led to a sort of sit-down with the company and, and the community expressed all kinds of grievances, including the fact that the company had not fulfilled what uh, it said it would do in a, in a kind of social agreement that they had worked out uh, the year prior. And the company at that sit-down Said that they would, they would, uh, you know, build a school and a and a well and other things before they moved ahead with um, an expansion mm-hmm. of their plantations onto lands that uh, were once plantation lands. Now they were sort of take, they had been abandoned and the community was, was on them uh, and, and using them once again. And the company was going to expand there, so there was again, you know, heightened tensions um, and. Uh, the company had a sort of minimal set of obligations that it was expected to fulfill, and then it just went ahead, and it didn't even fulfill those obligations. And so, you know, community leaders were invited to participate in the launch uh, and uh, raised issues with this. And that's when that evening uh, the police came in and rounded up 14 in the middle of the night, 14 uh, villagers. Um, and brought them to the local uh, police station. Eight of them were then moved to Kisangani, the provincial capital, 
in and the police were in the company vehicle, mm-hmm. and then they used the company boat to go to the Kisangani Court uh, jailhouse. Uh, they were then uh, put in jail, no charges. They had no no sense of what the charges were against them. Three uh, got out fairly shortly thereafter um, by paying a, a really high bribe that was you know very difficult for any of these people to come up with. Uh, and five others had remained in in, yeah. in prison from September till middle of January, end of January. Uh, without knowing what charges they were mm-hmm. being held under, detained under. Two of them weren't uh, involved at all in any of the, uh, in any way with any of the, the protests or the conflict. Um, and in fact, were only arrested because they were, uh, one had uh, refused to let the police enter uh, his house to, uh, so they were looking for somebody. Another one was just accompanying the arrested uh, villagers to sort of give witness to what was happening and then was arrested. Um, and they, you know, they've been in there for now more than, more than five months. Um, and uh, efforts are ongoing to, to try to secure, secure their release. And the, and the charges are just, you know, preposterous charges. Well, they did finally have a hearing on January 28th, um, after five, me- five months after their arrest, and as you said, no charges up until then. So what, do, what, did, what occurred at the hearing on January 28th? Well, there they were informed of their charges, which were essentially um, uh, one was causing bodily harm to a, a Feronia staff, which it, it can be easily dismissed because it, it, it just has no basis, and there was... Uh, charges of destroying some of the uh, company's nursery, uh, you know, and I heard the um, the counter story to that, and it just, I mean, it just, it really does make no sense um, what they're being they're being charged with, and that's why I don't feel very comfortable to say these are these are false charges, mm-hmm. and they're just there to intimidate the villagers. But one of the one of the villagers village leaders who was arrested. Was at a pre um, uh, kind of a, uh, a preparatory meeting for the the international complaints mechanism uh, mediation process, and he told the panel that him testifying, right, you know, telling the panel in this meeting about the the their issues that they have and the uh, the harm that they're they're facing from this company was putting him at risk, and he asked for the panel to provide him and the other villagers with some security. Uh, and then you have, you know, shortly thereafter, he's rounded up uh, and arrested. Wow. Incredible. So they are currently still sitting um, in a prison. What's the next? What's what's next? Well, we're trying to organize funds to um, to pay the bail, um, which is, I think, $1,000 each. Mm which is way above the means of any of these villagers. And we are uh, then also trying to um, uh, help them uh, to to have a defense when when the case resumes and to, you know, collect evidence uh, that can support their cases. So all that is, all that is ongoing. We're hopeful that there might be some, Shred of justice here, and that they'll they'll be they'll be released. Yeah. Any idea of the date of when the case will resume? 
Uh, well, it's hard because the, the judges have been on strike in the Congo, and um, uh, now I think the strike is, is is over. So it's just a matter of when they give a date. So it should be should be you know it should be a, it's very hard to say, but yeah. hopefully it'll be in the next. Uh, couple of weeks. Okay. Well, I do want to move on to a last question, but uh, normally I end the interview with this, but given that we're in this right now and you're trying to raise money and all of this, um, for our listeners who want to learn more about this and possibly get involved or maybe even make a contribution to a legal fund, uh, tell them how they, who, how do they do that? Well, best would probably just be to get in touch with me directly and then I could uh, steer them Okay. Uh, to the right place. Uh, on the site, farmlandgrab.org, uh, if you look under the category Feronia, you'll find the, uh, the petition. Um, you know, it's past, past date now, but uh, signatures are still always appreciated. And um, my address is, is Devlin, D-E-V-L-I-N, at grain.org. You can find me on our staff page at uh, www.grain.org. Okay, and we'll definitely put that on our blog as well, Devlin. So um, you're listening to Amanda here on CQT 90.3 FM. It's 10 minutes to 8. So let's let's move to something that I think is important in this whole story because it's so grim what you're telling us and so difficult. And um, But there's been some really interesting positive change that comes from this wellspring of resistance that you've been describing to us tonight. Uh, you, along with some other organizations, published a report last year called Communities in Africa Fight Back Against the Land Grab for Palm Oil. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the data that you collected that is this pointing to some kind of some pretty positive uh, conclusions. Yeah, so the, in 2008, um, with the food price crisis and financial crisis uh, and just the ongoing surging demand for, for palm oil for processed foods, uh, there was a, uh, this wave of um, company interest in acquiring large areas of land in Africa to create more oil palm plantations. And uh, we documented in 2014 <clears throat> deals for uh, covering 4.7 million hectares, a huge area of land, um, in many countries of West and Central Africa. Uh, and... Uh, that that is sort of partly why there was this um, effort to to work directly with the affected communities and and try to expose what was happening. Many of the communities were just simply unaware of uh, the deals that had been signed and you know were struggling to come up with um, ways that they could resist this. Um, and um, yeah, so the the good news is that now five years later. Uh, that the, the amount of land under these concession deals has, has decreased significantly. But more importantly, uh, the, the expansion area of the area that these companies have been able to expand has been a much smaller uh, amount. It was about 220,000 hectares uh, we, we tallied, which is still large, but it's much less than the 4.7 million that was mm-hmm. uh, signed away, and that is thanks to courageous communities like those in the, in the Congo that we were talking about, who have been standing up and making life difficult for the companies. I mean, I'm reminded of you know, the Oka crisis, where um, where the Mohawk communities 
you know, so valiantly stood up and 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 taught, uh, you know, just really opened the door for uh, the advancement of uh, sovereignty and land rights for other indigenous communities in the rest of Canada. And I think it's a similar situation in uh, Africa. The communities are affected by oil palm plantations in the sense where, you know, those communities who have really made life miserable for the development banks, uh, for the big corporations who have stopped their advance have, have made it, you know, have made many companies rethink their plan. Of uh, probably put, uh, you know, stop the development banks from funding other projects. Uh, you know, so it's hard to compute that, but we think that that's certainly been a huge factor in explaining why there's this been such a dramatic decrease in the um, uh, the concessionaries and and why the the expansion has been relatively slow. Kind of can do the parallel again here in Canada with what's going on with the Wet'suwet'en and the, you know, sort of what is becoming an impossible idea with these uh, with these pipelines, that it's just, it's not happening because of that kind of broad and concerted resistance to it. Yeah, and you know, the way the plantations are aggravated, is the companies are trying to frame this as, look, we can go in. And we can do socially responsible investment, and we'll we'll give a two, few token things to the communities, and mm-hmm. you know they should be happy with that. You know they're poor communities, and and you know here we are bringing investment, and uh, the communities it, it are saying no. This is these are our territories, and we'll decide what happens on the land, and you know we're motivated by a very different vision. And although there's of course, there's still divisions. Of course, there's still communities that are losing their land. But I, it's really inspiring to see uh, communities taking taking a stand and, and, and fighting back and not allowing companies to get away with this mm-hmm. kind of token uh, token offers and, mm-hmm. and what, are, what are really just land grabs. The report, uh, it's, it's nice because you talk about an alternative vision, and the report does talk about these smallholder uh, palm oil productions. Um, it's sort of really interesting can you talk to us about what is going on on that kind of smaller scale level of production yeah um this is something you get to is that you know in the case of feronia for instance those people will say well what, what if the company left would it would be this you know economic desert mm-hmm. <laughs> like there wouldn't be anything going on there and well you know that area of the world just like many other parts of and West and Central Africa have a long history of palm oil production yeah. on a small scale. Uh, you know, the oil palms are used for multiple uses to textiles and building houses and making wine and all kinds of things. So that it's it's a really um, has a long history and it's very vibrant and dynamic. There's trade between countries and and between regions. Um, there's ninety percent of the palm oil. Uh, that's produced in Africa right now is on this in this sort of small scale way, often by just cultivating or by um, gathering nuts from the, the forest. It's very sustainable. Uh, the benefits are right there for local people, mm-hmm. and it produces a much higher quality palm oil and and, and product. Uh, and it's particularly, you know, it's often in the hands of women too. So there's every reason to to, to support and and get behind. Um, that kind of uh, uh, palm oil production, and there's really no reason 
to think that these plantations can provide any kind of any kind of development. It's just it's just totally unnecessary and so damaging. Yeah. Okay, final question before we sign off here, Devlin. Feronia is a Canadian company. Um, what what can be done about holding it to account here? Well, I, I think there are a lot of options. I mean, one is to just you know create a lot of noise and and uh, try to shame them and be more bad press. Uh, but their most of their operations are not in Canada. They I think they really were formed just to take advantage of the TSX, uh, and there was, you know, financial investors here. But they are registered in Canada. Um, you know, there was a, a recent judgment that uh, showed that a, a Canadian companies could be taken to court mm-hmm. for uh, for crimes that they commit overseas. Um, so, you know, that could be one potential area uh, to pursue. I mean, it's we'll have to see. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think... It, of course, in the mining sector, there's many more cases of this, but you know that kind of activism of holding uh, Canadian-based companies to account for their crimes uh, and their actions overseas, I think, is super important. Devlin Kriak of Grain, thank you so much for joining us. So appreciated. Thank you, Gwen, and uh, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, the next time. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.